Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and Happy New Year because we are filming on the last day of 2022 but chances are you're not hearing this until 2023 so Happy New Year I hope everything's going well for you this year I am excited to bring you a very special guest today um it's a guest that I've been trying to get on my podcast for a long time but distance has you know (laughs) I didn't want to do it virtually, so I had to wait till she was here in my house on the couch. On the couch. And it's my mom, y'all. Yay! My mom's here (laughs) for an episode. Everybody say hi. Hi! (laughs) Mom, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Glad I'm here. It's literally been a long night of me trying to get um, this virtual podcast set up. Yeah. Um. So, y'all, my mom, like I said, I've been wanting to record with her for a really long time. I'm glad we finally have made time, literally on the last night that she's here, visiting in Florida. We've been spending the past couple weeks together in Florida, celebrating the holidays. She's been off. My husband's been off. Um, It's been really nice to have family here. Um, It's been really nice to just spend time with her. I've been dragging her all over Tampa, all over St. Pete. Um, willingly, she's been enjoying herself. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Um, but yes, we are finally on the mic. It has been a journey to get to this point, <laughs> to get on the mic. But mom, welcome. welcome Thank you. God. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes. I'm excited I'm to be here. here. Yes. Before I get into what we're going to talk about this episode, my mom is, is pretty awesome. Um, I will let her... Tell tell y'all a little bit about herself, but I will give her a proper intro. So my mom is my mom. <laughs> She's pretty amazing. She is from England. Don't ask me what part. For everybody listening in the UK, I'm sorry. I never know what part of England. I'll tell you. She, yeah, she's going to tell y'all. So just know when I come to the UK, we're going to record an episode. I'm going to bring her along and she'll. She'll show me exactly where she grew up. Yes. But um, my mom has been in the States for a really long time. She raised me and my little brother. And in Las Vegas, you know, by herself, she did her thing. I think I turned out all right. So, you know. Um, but no, my mom's pretty awesome. awesome. She's, she's very, uh, she's very into fitness. And so if you, if this is your first time listening to the pod, I am a former professional athlete. But prior to that career, I was always involved in sports. And so that was something that my mom was very, um, made sure that we were involved in something. So it was typically sports. You know, we also like played instruments and stuff like that. But sports was always in or around my household. Somebody was playing. My mom was like swimming or like at work. 
um, and by work, I mean like her second job at the gym, training people or teaching a class, or she was just like running around the city, <laughs> running around other cities, running marathons. So doing triathlons, all of the things. Um, nowadays, she spends a lot of her time running in the mountains. So that just tells you working out was very much the norm in my household growing up and um, just being like health conscious. But my mom is just super athletic. I'm pretty sure if we went outside and like ran the 100 meter dash, she'd probably still beat me. She ran track in high school. She um, swam all through high school. And she was supposed to be on the um, England's national swimming team and compete in the Olympics. But we won't go into that. (laughs) But yeah, so my mom is pretty awesome. And she's very into fitness. Um, Right now, she is a director of a... Um, group fitness uh, department for one of the biggest gyms in Las Vegas. If you're from Vegas, you already know what gym I'm talking about. But um, <laughs> but uh, she's fitness has has I felt like kind of shifted from being your hobby to like your side career to now your main career. That's which is really cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I will let you tell the people a little bit about yourself, Mom. Well, let's uh, clarify where I'm from. <laughs> from South London, England. See, that's what I was going to say. And that's what I was going to say. You know. Just a little place called Camberwell Green. I went to Stockwell Manor um, Secondary School and then came to the United States when my mom came to the U.S., um, a very long time ago. So my roots are definitely uh, Brits. I still identify as a Brit, even though I'm a U.S. citizen, but I still identify as a Brit and um, have been really, really fortunate to work yeah. in uh, a lot of different industries, corporate America. Hold on, let's run it back. Hold on. My mom is also Jamaican before y'all get it twisted. Okay. Yes. So my roots, <laughs> my roots, roots are definitely from Jamaica. Both my parents are from Jamaica. Um, so uh, yes, I, I listened to a lot of Bob Marley, even went to one of his concerts. But uh, with that being said, I um, ended up in the U.S. on the eastern, uh, uh, in Connecticut, ended up uh, coming to Las Vegas, and I've been in Vegas for a super, super long time. And I kind of traversed, you know, different industries, as I was mentioning, and um, really landed in the industry that was that was where my passion was uh, all along. I mean, when I was raising kids, it was fitness part time. But when I had the opportunity to really take this director role and make a difference, uh, I, I jumped at it. So it's been really, really amazing for me. It's yes. a passion of mine, and it still is a passion of mine. I'm still running mountains up at uh, Mount Charleston. She is, y'all. Uh, yes, she is. So, uh, running so, with the rattlesnakes. <laughs> with the rattlesnakes. <laughs> and the wild horses up there. So, yes. And the wild horses. Yeah. So, she's super, super active. Um, if you live in Vegas and you have not uh, even just, like, ventured out on a hike, please go on a hike. It doesn't have to be Red Rock. It could be, like, Mount Charleston. Could be, could be anywhere. Anywhere. Could be anywhere. Um, you might run into me. You, you're <laughs> probably gonna run into my mom. So she's probably the only black woman running on the trail. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, but mom, I'm really excited for today's episode. We're gonna talk about fitness and mental health, and kind of talk about um, get into how it intersects for you. Sure. 
But before we get into that, okay, I'm sure our listeners want to know a little bit more about you. Okay. So in order to uh, learn a little bit more about you, we are going to get into our fast and curious. Fast and curious. Yes. All right. So fast and curious segment. This is, and for anybody new, this is where we spend three minutes getting to know our guests by just throwing lots of questions at you. Oh boy. Okay. I'm ready. you, You give me the first answer that comes to mind, or if you got a story behind it, you can tell me the story. Okay. Or you can tell them the story because I might already know the story. Okay. Um, yeah. So you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. What's the weirdest you've ever eaten? The weirdest food I've ever eaten. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Um, for me, the weirdest food I've ever eaten is alligator because I just don't like alligators. Oh, but it was good though. Cause we ate that together. Well, didn't it we? tastes like chicken. So exactly. I mean, it, but it was weird in the sense that I don't like alligators. So for me to try it was, yeah. It's weird. It was, it was a bit good. of an adventure. So shout out to Papa Do's in Texas, because I'm pretty sure that's where I took you. Yep. Yeah. I went to school, University of Texas, and I was at Papa Do's every time I got a scholarship check, <laughs> took myself out to eat, um, and I would always eat gator. Yep. I'd get like two orders of gator, fried gator, and they have the little sauce. And so when my mom came to visit me, I was I was like, mom, you have to try the, the fried gator. Um, and she's like, what the heck is happening here? <laughs> what, what are they doing to you here? Um, don't worry, it's good. Um, what is on your cell phone wallpaper right now? On my cell phone wallpaper, I have a beautiful picture of a little girl holding a birthday candle. Um, little brown girl holding a birthday candle. I thought she was beautiful and she reminded me of you. Oh, cute. Thanks, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so everybody has scars, right? on your body so I've got like a knee scar is there any particular scar that has like a certain story behind it yeah I used to um speed skate when I was in London and I didn't know that yes I was a crazy speed skater and then uh, how did I not know this <laughs> you probably don't remember the I I'm sure I've shared the story with you but there was this one boy that could never out speed skate me and mm-hmm. he was determined to beat me on this one particular night and I was determined to not have him beat me. Mm-hmm. So we went around about, Oh my gosh, around the fifth or sixth time around and he cut in front of me and I gave him a little bit of a tap and he fell, <laughs> and fell his butt, and then the back of his skate just jabbed me oh. right in front of my shin. So I got cut, but I finished the break. Did you beat him? I beat him. Yes. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. See, and like I said, I played sports all my life. So you see where the competitive edge, this was ingrained in me. I had no choice. You had no choice. So if I've ever knocked you down on the basketball court, sorry, sorry. not sorry. This is right. You're not, not sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you go with the aliens if they came down to earth tomorrow? Yep. Would you come back? Nope. Ma, I'm here. What I'd come back. I'd come back to convince you to come with me. Oh, Lord, I got to go too. <laughs> Okay. I tell everybody, you know, Ashley is like a travel monkey. If you tell yeah. her to pack and we're going to Mars, I'm going. Like, when are going? Yeah, so. I'm for sure going to go. Absolutely. You already know. I, I got a bag somewhere I can pack. <laughs> um, what What would you, what's your favorite part of day? Sunrise, daylight, twilight, or just nighttime? I'm kind of a night owl. Yes. Yeah, I'm a yeah. night owl. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world for a year, 
where would you go? Fiji Islands. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. Fresh yes. food every day. I just think it's. I feel like the people would be really nice. Amazingly beautiful place on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Um, if you could be any supernatural creature, like if you could have a superpower. Ooh, a superpower. Yeah. Ooh, superpower. I would be, um, I think I'd be like superwoman. Oh, okay. So like flying, flying, super helping people, like superhuman powers, strength. getting people out of trouble, strength, power. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like yeah. that. Um, would you rather live where it only snows or the temperature never falls below 100 degrees? So Vegas. <laughs> so do you so you don't want, do you want to live in vegas or you want to live somewhere else essentially oh that's funny um well geez louise i love the snow i mean yeah. right now it's three hours away from vegas up in uh, utah yeah um but i love being out of the snow okay um if you had a million dollars what would you buy first you and steve in a house oh that's really nice mom <laughs> thank you and you can you can have that the house behind us. And I have the house behind it. Okay. And your brother house. Yes, Matt, you get a house too if you're listening. Um, what's your earliest holiday memory? Ooh, that's a good one. <clears throat> My earliest holiday memory was when we were in London and we had an actual real fireplace. Ooh. And you know, my mother worked you know, 16 jobs, not because she's a Jamaican, but just because she had to provide for her family. Yeah. Um, and there was just one Christmas that she was actually off and we had an actual fireplace and we had not a lot of gifts, but we had gifts that we had to unwrap. But that was literally yeah. the only time. I think it was about six or seven at the time, but that was, oh, that's wow. my favorite memory. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't think I've ever heard that story. Last question. Which one of my cats is your favorite? Yeah. Or <laughs> um, quick side story. My mom hates cats and I have two. Um, and the first time she met our little cat, Peanut, she was like, okay, he's revving up against me. I don't know what's going on. Well, now she loves Peanut. She wants pictures of him. I do love Peanut. Yes, my mom loves Peanut. Well, thank you for playing Fast and Curious. Okay, you're welcome. Yes. That was fun. <laughs> We're going to hop into our next segment, which is the mind game segment. So this is a newer segment that I just started doing. Well, I guess it's not too new. Um, basically, the mind game segment is where I ask you guys a question or give you a definition of a mental health disorder, and you get to guess what it is. Um, I am not going to tell you the answer until the end of the episode. So you got to stick around with us. Okay. We'll come back later, whatever, whatever works for you. Um, today we're switching it up. We're not doing a definition. Typically I do like a definition of a mental health disorder. Today we're doing a bit of a question. I'll give you a little info and then we'll come back later for the answer. The question for today is what are ways that stress can affect your mind or your your body, your mood, and behavior. So what are ways that stress affects your body, your mood, and your behavior? So we all know that stress symptoms can affect your health, even if you don't realize it. So you may think that illness, an illness is to blame for that irritating headache, or maybe your frequent insomnia, or your decreased, decreased productivity at work. 
but stress could actually be the cause for this. So stress symptoms can affect your body, it can affect your thoughts, your feelings, and your behavior. Being able to recognize common stress symptoms can help you manage them. Um, stress is left unchecked can contribute to many health problems such as high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, and diabetes. So I want you guys to think about what ways stress maybe has affected your body, your mood, your behavior, and um, we'll come back at the end. Mom, do you, do you have a couple ways that you think stress affects your, your mind, your body, your mood, your behavior? Uh, I think stress can ultimately push you into um, depression. I also think stress can manifest itself physically, you know, whether that's, you know, stomach aches, headaches, migraines, you know, mm -hmm. tummy aches. Um, but yes, it definitely has multiple uh, facets of how it affects you. Yes, 100%. So we're going to come back and at the very end, we will break down how stress affects your body your mood, and your behavior. We are going to hop into my newest segment. Yes, you're getting all the segments. Um, this segment is called What's the Psych Tea? This is where we talk about psychology in the news. So I pull an article, I pull some statistics, maybe from some recent research, and then we talk about it. And for those of you that are nerds like me, um, you can always uh, check out the link in the description and read the article if you choose to do so. So. I decided, you know what, today I'm going to pick out some articles that my mom would find interesting, and, and you guys also. Um, so I found an article, and as I mentioned earlier, my mom runs a lot. She's run marathons, she's done triathlons, she's done all the athons, <laughs> all the, everything the Greeks created, all the names that they've created for activities, she's done them all. Um, so I found an article, and it um, it's called 10 Mental Health Benefits of Running. Um, it was written in 2017 by Candice Rossa, um, and this was actually posted as a blog post on the Podium Runner. Um, again, you know, I'll, I'll give you guys the link. But this article I thought was really interesting. Um, as we all know, like running and other forms of exercise can reduce anxiety symptoms. Um, I guess I shouldn't say as we all know, because maybe everybody doesn't know that um, different forms of exercise can help reduce anxiety um, and, and actually help you relax a little bit. Um, in some studies, running may work as well as medication to relieve anxiety. So again, this, is, this article uh, talks about 10 different benefits uh, for your mental health when it comes to running. Um, Mom, do you wanna take a guess as to one of the mental health benefits? Um, I would definitely say depression. I yeah. think that running, um, you know, they call it the, the zone, you run it, get into a zone and it just mm -hmm. releases all these endorphins and all the things that make you feel good. Um, and it really helps to take you out of that space of being depressed or feeling depressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, mom, you hit it on the head because the first thing the article mentions is that it decreases symptoms of depression. Yeah. So lots of different studies and have been concluded that regular aerobic exercise and primarily jogging or brisk walking. So yes, if you're like me and you hate running, yes, I hate running <laughs> with capital H-A-T-E. I hate it. Um, you can jog or just, you know, briskly walk, which is what I like to do. Um, but it actually reduces the symptoms of clinical depression. So 
strikingly in one study, running was found to be as effective as an intervention for depression as psychotherapy. Uh, when study participants were assigned to one of three groups, a running group, a cognitive behavioral group, um, aka CBT, um, in a group that received both running and cognitive behavioral therapies. For anybody that hasn't heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, that is a form of talk therapy um, that you would sit down with a therapist and, and uh, it's a particular form of, of talk therapy. Um, so they had three different groups and all three of the groups experienced a similarly significant decline in depressive symptoms with little difference in outcome between the running and the CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy group. So um, very interesting that it had a similar effect as therapy. So very cool. Another, um, I'll go over a couple other ways that it helps your mental health. So it improves your learning abilities. Um, it sharpens your memory and protects the brain from aging. Um, so they found that physical exercise in the form of running and other aerobic activities um, won the day when it, come, when it came to this particular uh, research. Uh, on the basis of brain scans showing a lower rate of brain shrinkage and cognitive decline in, early, uh, in elderly test subjects who are physically active. Um, it alleviates anxiety, which we mentioned earlier. Um, it helps you sleep better. Um, it also boosts your self-esteem, increases creativity, decreases cravings for unhealthy food and substances. Um, this part was particularly interesting because um, heavy marijuana users experience a marked, a marked, uh, marked decline in both cravings and daily use after just a few sessions of running on a treadmill. And this is and according this is to research at Vanderbilt University. It, it turns, turns out that running off reduces cravings for other drugs, whether it's cocaine, meth, nicotine, or alcohol, according to a 2011 analysis of the research appearing in the frontiers of psychiatry. And lastly, it helps the brain heal from substance abuse, which I I thought it uh, I thought that was really interesting because I had not heard about that particular connection. Um, so this holds true even when the drug in question is as potent as a substance as meth, and this is according to 2012 findings in the journal Synapse. Uh, meth increases the brain brain's uh, production of dopamine and serotonin and burns up the receptors, whereas running helps to renormalize the functions of these two key feel-good neurotransmitters and boost their production. So similarly to how you were talking about getting in the zone, running in a way gets your body to like increase the production of those endorphins. So well, and, I, and I'd like to add as well that, I mean, all that research is really great, but when we talk about um, people who are maturing in age, um, brisk walking, not that I would suggest anybody that is of mature senior age go out and run mountains, but a brisk walk helps you with postural alignment, it helps you with mobility, um, it also helps you with the ability to... Um, you know, manage your balance because walking or running engages the core. I mean, it is, it is total core engagement, right? It also keeps the hips and the legs lucrative so that that person who is maybe advancing in age um, would benefit from mm -hmm. a brisk walk every single day or every other day. Yeah. Um, so yes, 
top down, all of the endorphins and all of the things that are happening in the brain, I think are absolutely bang on. But when it comes to just physicality for someone who is not just a senior, but someone who is much younger and going through some of these things that you mentioned, um, that type of activity is is a phenomenal activity. Yeah. And just to give you guys some context, because um, I realized in my introduction for my mom, I did not mention that. Um, she has a background in personal training. She has a background in group fitness and she has all of the like highest qualifications that you could get for both of those. So this isn't just somebody that is, you know, active and likes to go to the gym a lot. She um, is educated in this world of fitness and educated in this world of, of movement and, um, has spent lots of nights, um, and, Lots of nights, personal training, <laughs> and lots of days. Um, I'm sure you've taught like tens of thousands of group fitness classes, but um, she actually has the education to back up all of this. So another reason why I wanted to bring you on. Um, we're going to happen to just one more, uh, one more article, and it talks about runner's eye. So earlier you talked about getting into the zone. Yes. I want to, what is your description of how it feels when you're in the zone? So that could be running, that could be when you're doing like cycling, that could be, I don't know if that runner's eye is different than other forms of exercise. No, it's, I don't it, get runner's eye because I hate it. Because you do not like running. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I know. Trust me. Uh, you guys many a days where I would try to tempt you and Matthew to come out and run and that was big no. Um, what we what we call the zone is so when you start to run, let's say that you're going out on a on a ten mile run, uh, okay, on a three mile run, half a mile, on a mile run, mm-hmm. mile, yeah, okay. You probably won't get in that zone in a mile or a half a mile run. So when we talk about getting into the zone, what we go through is um, what we call um, you know, oxygen deficit, right? So you start to work out, you're breathing heavy, you're starting to feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to get my body to kind of metabolize and get acclimate, acclimated to what I'm going to be doing, which is that three, four, five mile run or that one hour workout, right? Um, once your body starts to acclimate to what you want it to do, then the muscles start to kind of ingest the oxygen that it needs, right? So then you get to a point where, let's talk about running, you find a pace that you don't have to think about anymore. You find our movements that you don't have to think about anymore. So what that zone for me personally is I am now running and not having to think about running. I am now running and I am actually just kind of settled into this absolute calmness of what I'm doing. It may be difficult. It might be challenging, but it's not mentally challenging for me and it's no longer physically challenging. So that zone can last for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever your workout is for the day. Um, But what that zone does is for me, it says that the endorphins are working, everything is being adjusted mentally. And now I'm able to adjust physically and just really move through that workout without feeling overly stressed. And it just feels really, really good. So you could be on a bike ride, whether you're riding 10, 20, 30 miles or three miles or two miles whether you go on a really nice, powerful hike or a gentle hike, you get to a point in that workout where your mind says, I've met 
my body. Mm-hmm. And I'm now at a place where that balance is equaling itself out. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that playing basketball. Like I definitely yeah. like you can get in the zone once you're in really good shape yeah. or you just get into a flow where there's a point where you're just thinking strategically about the game and you're not really thinking about like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. Tired. My legs are hurting. hurting. You're just like, you're, you're just there playing on another level where for me, my brain just like turns into chess. Okay. I need to go here. I need waiting for this person to cut here. So yeah, definitely. To me, that is the now, right? We talk about, forget about the past and you're not in the future yet, but when you're in the zone, you're, you're like, you're working as you're now you're yeah. present yeah yeah oh very cool well i this this particular article you know i again was looking for articles that had to do with running and this one is titled the truth behind runner's high and other mental benefits of uh running so this kind of talks a little bit to what you were just talking about um when it comes to like what's happening in your body and your brain during a run so your breathing may become heavy you may notice your pulse quicken as your heart pumps harder to move oxygenated blood to your muscles and, and brain as you as hit your stride, stride your body releases hormones called endorphins popular culture uh, identifies these as the chemicals behind running high um, you know, a no, short, short lasting, deeply following intense exercise. exercise. Um, um, surveys have revealed that rather, rather, rather rare, rather rare. The majority of athletes never experiencing it. Never Indeed, many distance runners really feel merely nauseated long race, not blissful. And though endorphins help prevent muscles from feeling pain, it is unlike that endorphins in the blood contribute to euphoric feeling or any mood change at all. Research shows that endorphins do not pass the blood-brain barrier. That relaxed post-run feeling may instead be to be due to endocannabinoids, biochemical substances similar to cannabis but naturally produced by the body. Exercise increases the level of endocannabinoids in the bloodstream. Unlike endorphins, endocannabinoids move easily through the cellular barrier, separating the bloodstream from the brain, where these mood improving neuromodulators promote short-term psychoactive effects, such as reduced anxiety and feelings of calm. So I thought that was really interesting because I think, I do think endorphins have have a lot to do with how you're feeling, but I thought it was super interesting because we don't talk a lot about cannabinoids. Um, I mean, I do on this podcast, but I think in general in life, we don't talk enough about endocannabinoids and the potential um, benefits of the fact that your body is already producing some of these things that are already, that are already in cannabis, already in the plant. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the article sounds like it's, it, I don't, and I haven't read the article, but it might be referring to post-workout. I mean, I, I heard you say that. Not, yeah, it um, seems like the And post-workout, you're not in the zone. I mean, that yeah. that's not where you hit the zone. So um, I would... <clears throat> and I haven't read the article, but you know, when you're in the zone, you're in the midst of that workout. Like I said, you're in the present, you're in the now. And you know, when I run a marathon, I'm in that zone up until about mile 20. Yeah. And then my brain starts to kick in and go, holy crap, I have 6.2 miles to go. Now it becomes more technical and more strategic for me, right? Yeah. I've run, the, I've been in the zone for mile after mile after mile, but now I'm, I'm almost getting to the end of this and it's been a slog fest, right? 
but it's now a slog fest. I've got 6.2 miles to go. Right. And this is the, this is where it becomes a mental game. Right. right. But at the end of it, um, the only thing I want is a, is a diet seven up. Right? Well, <laughs> so, and that way I can kind of recalibrate so. well, that too, you know, recalibrate my system. But um, I think the article kind of references post-workout. Yeah. It's not the zone. Yeah. Yeah. But I did find it, it was interesting that there was two different things at play when it comes to changing your mood. Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, for anybody that is new to this podcast, we've done quite a few episodes on like the benefits of cannabis. And that doesn't necessarily mean THC. It can, but right. it also means CBD. And there's other pieces and parts of the plant that have similar or the same um, substances that your brain and your body can already produce. So um, make sure you, you roll back and listen to some of those. Anyways, we're here now. So <laughs> thank you for, um, you know, sitting down and talking about the newest tea in psychology. Yeah. Uh, we are going to get into the nitty gritty of this episode, which is fitness and mental health. I know we've been kind of um, dabbed our toe in the water a little bit, but um, I want to talk about your specific relationship with fitness and mental health and how the two have intertwined and like how one has helped the other. Um, but was there, so I know that you grew up, I mean, I just found out that you did speed skating, but I knew that you <laughs> swam and you run to this day in courts. Um, and I know you're super active nowadays when it comes to like cycling and like she's jumping up and down on the stage kicking you know doing jump kicks in the air and uh, also very into yoga <clears throat> so was there a point in life where you kind of realized that your physical health was aided your mental health was like was there a point where you're like oh that that helps me mentally yeah I think um I think that point in life really kind of emerged when uh, you and Matthew were out of the house. And, and I say that because as a single parent raising two very active kids, one particularly active being you, um, you just don't have time to focus on yourself. Let's just put it out there. And when you guys were kind of out of the house uh, and I would sometimes wake up a little bit down, a little bit depressed, a little bit out of sorts, I would go hiking. And so hiking wasn't the thing for me to do for fitness anymore. It was because I needed to connect to the earth. I needed to connect to, um, to outside. There's up at Mount Charleston, there's a beautiful white tree, which has fallen. And what I realized that I was doing was downloading my, um, my meditation. And every time I would climb that hike, I would sit on that tree for a while and listen to my meditation. And it clicked to me that this wasn't about um, hiking per se, but this was about me trying to recalibrate how I was feeling and trying to get in touch with how I was feeling and trying to, and then I began to realize that you know, this transition from busy mom, working two jobs, trying to take care of the kids, being the coach, being the this, being the personal trainer, you know, giving your all at your job really, really began to transition into, okay, this is not about fitness anymore. 
even though I love fitness and I think fitness has helped me survive many, many things, but this was about just kind of really honing in on how I'm feeling. And so, you know, we use the word mental health now, but it was, we didn't say mental health back then. We just kind of said, I'm just kind of in a really crappy mood and I just need to feel better. Right. Which Mm -hmm. in itself, mental health, just trying to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. personally. So that was when, for me, I began to really realize, I think when I was younger and going through a tough time at home, because I did have a tough home life. um, I was also, I think, escaping to the swimming pool. I was swimming in the pool when I didn't need to. My coach would say to me, why are you in the pool twice a day? You just need to practice once a day. And I think, you know, as I look back on that, that's probably what I was doing, not realizing it, right? It mm. was a form of escape. It was a form of kind of identifying who I was and what was I contributing just to myself and to my team. But it was just that time to take care of myself, I think, started at an early age. Did I recognize it then? No, it wasn't until, you know, I was uh, going through empty nest syndrome, I guess, is what you could really call it. Mm. Can you describe empty nest syndrome for somebody that's like, what is that? Empty nest syndrome for me personally was, again, single parent. I don't mean to drone on that. But if you're a single parent and having to take care of your children, making sure they have a home, food, clothes, um, making sure the bills are paid, you don't have 30 seconds to think about who you are as a person, as an individual, your time is spent making sure that your kids are safe in a, under that umbrella. Right. Um, and so when your kids, you, when you've done your job and raised your kids, when you've done your job to the best of your ability and raised your children, and now they are adults and they've moved on and starting to create their own lives, their own adult lives, you don't have that busy schedule anymore. Right. You don't have the come on, get up, take a shower, let's go, boom, 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 scheduling this, coordinating pickups and drop-offs. Um, and so what ends up happening is that you have this massive void in your life, right? So my day was waking up, getting you kids up, boom, getting you to school, get myself to work, going to job number two, getting you home, getting someone to drop you off at grandma's, coming up, picking you up. But when that is gone, now you have this void that you have to fill somehow um, and maybe not as busily as you did, but you have a void now that you have to figure out how to fill. And the other thing is that you just, there's this feeling of, well, nobody needs me anymore, right? My kids need me, uh, needed me, and now they're adults. Now they're out and they're on their own. So nobody needs me anymore. Um, And so there's just these multiple layers of things that just kind of disappear when you're not that busy single parent anymore. So now it's like, what do I do with my 24 hours? So that's, Mm. for me, that's what emptiness syndrome meant. Yeah. Wow. I guess I didn't really, I think for me, I thought of it as like, oh, well, she must be real relieved. We're out of the house now. It's pro- life is probably a lot cheaper and also you're probably less worried about us um just all the all the things that you mentioned so yeah I think I always thought like oh, I'm gonna get out of here like I'm gonna go and go to school somewhere else and you know just 
No. You'll be like very relieved to have like one out the house and the next no. one's coming in a few years. So the opposite. No. Yeah, it's interesting for me to hear that now. Um being a bit older, you know. Yeah, it's complete opposite. Hmm. Do you do you still feel like you have empty nest syndrome? No, I don't still feel like I have empty nest syndrome. I have been very um proactive in figuring out what my day is going to be like right Mm -hmm. um so you know whether it's me working on a new program or whether it's me you know working on a presentation or whether i'm figuring out which classes i'm going to teach or who i'm going to teach or who i'm going to cross train so there now there are different ways that i'm that i'm busy Mm -hmm. um but do i miss my my kids yeah obviously i mean you're in florida i'm in vegas uh, as we know, your brother's uh, a bit of an introvert, so he tends mm. to be a bit of a, uh, an isolationist. But and that's that's okay. That's who he's grown into, and there's so I've had to manage your distance and his isolation um, by really, really keeping busy. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's not empty nest syndrome anymore. It's shifted into how do I keep busy from being lonely for mm-hmm. my kids? So that's yeah, that's the transition. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel better like coming to visit? Absolutely. But I'm already sad because I'm leaving tomorrow. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> me too. Oh, okay. Um, when you were younger, did you as as you mentioned earlier, like mental health is a new thing, I wanna say like ten past ten ish years. It's just now become this mainstream term. Yeah. But did you talk about mental health at all? Anything like what was your view of mental health? Was there any like focus on mental health? Did you have like school counselors? No, no. Um, uh, I didn't grow up in a rough neighborhood, but I didn't, wasn't, it certainly wasn't a posh neighborhood, right? So the school that I went to. Um, you were just expected to suck it up. Whatever was happening in life, you sucked it up. Um, unfortunately, my mother left when I was, she came to the United States when I was really young. And so I had to learn very, very quickly how to grow up. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, the the folks that she left us, left in charge, weren't really willing to partake of that responsibility so we ended up having to um me and the sister that's above me ended up having to really kind of take charge of ourselves and so there was really nobody and the other thing is we come from a west indian family and if you're listening and you're from a west indian family you get this you already know there was not uh this communication of you know hey mom i'm really feeling down let's talk about it it was no so that that just didn't happen um, part of my other salvation other than fitness was I was very much into music. I played the violin for about six or seven years. I was really good at it. Um, but you didn't really have a school counselor to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unfortunate because I think a lot of people really went through this system of needing someone to speak with and it just really wasn't available. And then when I came to the United States to encounter the horrible racism in the u.s because my mother never prepared us for that right it was if you were raised in london you yes experienced 
racism, but in the United States, it was just kind of at a different, deeper, more visceral level than what we were used to. And so again, catapulted into this school system that wasn't really willing to uh, open its doors to a person of color. Mm. So, yeah, it was, it's, so no, to answer your question, no, there wasn't really anyone for us to go to. So I feel like with grandma's story going back, um, as my mom mentioned earlier, like grandma left, but she didn't like leave and go down the street. She left and went, came to the States. Yes. So for anybody that's listening that isn't with something like you're black, you're in the diaspora somewhere in the world, um, particularly I feel like for West Indians that moved from Jamaica or the West Indies, then to the UK, especially if that is who was in charge of whatever country it is for us was right. Jamaica. Um, that's a common story that you hear yes. is that, okay, grandma, grandpa, whoever left Jamaica or left the West Indies, went to the UK for a better life. Yes. And then decided, okay, actually, I'm going to go from the UK to the US. But I think what's not talked about a lot is what happens in that time like what happens to kids what happens to relationships what like do the kids come with you and I don't think it's just as I think that that is probably a common more common immigrant story especially coming here to America because it is like you've got to come here yourself first right and then you have to go back and get like one child at a time right and get them integrated right so when did when did did grandma grandma leave like like age-wise for you. I was 10. 10. And so that left you and one of my aunts at the house. Well, that left me and the sister that's above me, who is about four years older than I am. And then there was supposed to be a older cousin at the house that was supposed to watch over us. And that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So Cause I'm, I, cause again, I feel like this is probably a story that may, and maybe for some of us that are from like West Indian families, you know, our families don't may not talk. For some people, may not have a family that talks about this and talks about some of the long term effects. Yeah, of that happening. So Grandma left and came to the states. Did she, when she left? Did she, was she like, hey, I'm gonna be leaving like in a couple months? No, it was actually pretty traumatic. Um, uh, I woke up one morning and put my school uniform on and went downstairs and she had a suitcase and she was talking to the oldest of the siblings. And um, I asked, well, where are you going? And she said, I'm going to America. Um, And then I remember running upstairs to the other sibling that's above me and uh, she, so we didn't know. We, there was never a conversation about mm-hmm. this is the plan. This is what I intend to do. Um, and, and you know, for years, years and years and years, I just felt abandoned, right? Because I did not have a relationship with my father, um, and because there was never really an explanation as to why she left. And I think that's part of the the unfortunate relationship history for maybe a lot of West Indian families is that they don't sit down and have a conversation with you, right? So it's about 
I'm going to make this decision to go do what I do. And even though it might be in the best interest of the kids, they don't tell you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, so when she left, there, there was this unfortunate feeling of, for me, I won't speak about the other siblings because I don't know how they felt, um, that she just kind of abandoned me. And it wasn't until I was probably in my 40s that I sat down and had a conversation with her about it and told her how I felt. Um, but there were other some, there were some other extenuating circumstances that I just literally found out in 2019 when I went back to London and spoke to her older sister. And you know there was unfortunately she was in a marriage and there was abuse. So for her she was escaping this abuse. But I don't know how you speak to your kids about that. And maybe that was her, part of her dilemma. Um, but um, she still never spoke about it. Mm. Right? Even when she had an opportunity to say, this is why I left. And I didn't know how to explain it to you kids because I was in a dilemma and had an opportunity to go to America, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, to answer the question of, how it leaves you feeling for years and years and years is a feeling of this question of why did you abandon me? Mm. Right. Because it was never explained. And I think that happens a lot. And I don't know if it's just Caribbean. Uh, you know, I shouldn't just say it's just Caribbean. I'm just speaking from experience. This is, yeah. um, this is one of the things that culturally, culturally is it just doesn't happen. And I, you know, I wish that, I'm sure people of my age, if they're listening to this, are going, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Never told us what was happening in their lives. Yeah. Because that's what I'm thinking. It's like, even, I mean, growing up just as kids, it's always like grown folks business is. Right. You don't, inter- you don't insert yourself into it. You don't insert yourself right. into grown folks conversations. Right. You'll know what you need to know. Right. And I think taking it back to mental health oh, and like, even having a language for that. I think nowadays we're we're getting more language around like how to talk about our feelings and how to talk about our right. mental health. And like I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling manic. Like we have all these we have all this language now and we also have access to Google which opens the world up. But um I think rolling back to that point in time yeah, I can't imagine like you at for me at ten, you being like I'm leaving. Like where you're go, where are you going, and why am I not coming with you? Right. So, yeah. <clears throat> how do you like, or how have you coped with that over the years? And like, are you at a better place with that? Do you feel like there's still like healing to be done? Do you feel? Like you kind of wrap your head around that, is, or is that like a wound that you feel like is not gonna heal? I don't. I think there's some healing that has been done, but I think um, that for many, many years, you know that the if the wound doesn't heal, it just you know it scars over, and there's still that you know that cut underneath the that scar, sting. right? Yeah. So. As I mentioned, you know, in my 40s, I sat down and had a conversation with her. And even then, you could just tell the reluctance to to talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. She apologized, but um, there still wasn't this, for me, there wasn't this heartfelt 
I'm, you know, it wasn't the apology that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. But for me, I had to speak about it because it was something that I had to get off my chest. Yeah. And I had to be honest with her at that point in life. Yeah. That's how I felt and how I felt she had treated me. But some of the residual effects, unfortunately for me, has been, um, you know, when I have entered relationships in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. I think at some point I'm going to get abandoned. Like the rug is going to get pulled from under you. By this person. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that, that has never healed. Right. So yes, there has some been some healing by me being brave enough to talk about it because no matter how old we are, we're still not, I was still never brave enough to talk to her about it. Um, but, um, there's, there's still residual effects of that yeah, situation that, that linger. Absolutely. Is there anything, any like type of reminders that you use or anything to try to fight that a little bit once you're like entering a new relationship or navigating a current relationship? Is there any like reminder that you have for yourself or any type of like something to help with that trigger? You're like, oh, you're going to leave. Like what's going to happen? Ooh, yeah. Um, I think it's a constant, uh, there's constant dialogue in my brain about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the previous relationship, I would, it's so weird because I would almost <laughs> challenge the person about leaving. Right. And mm-hmm. so you get to this point where you, you, you're almost preparing yourself that if that person leaves, you're you know, going to be able okay. to say, well, I knew it was going to happen. So I'm partially prepared for that to happen and I'm partially prepared to move on, right? But I think what what I end up realizing is that you're missing a whole lot that you could be engaging in with this, this individual, right? Versus worrying about at some point they're going to leave. So I have to mentally and emotionally prepare myself for when they leave, yeah. right? All of that space is taken up with how to protect yourself, right? Because that's what it is. It's self-protection. Yeah. It's emotionally protecting yourself it's it's physically protecting yourself from the because when someone leaves and you you are in a you know a serious relationship with someone and you genuinely have feelings for this person it's like a punch in the gut so it's the physicality of it is very very real and the emotionality of it is extremely real but when you prepare yourself for the eventual abandonment then you're kind of okay right yeah what happens is it's just another cut yeah it's just another cut that you have to somehow get to heal at some point and do you think that keeps people at an arm's distance in a certain way of like uh you might hurt me so i'm i'm not gonna be all in because just absolutely absolutely yeah absolutely and if you are a child that feels, and now you are a mature adult that feels you've been abandoned, whether it's by a parent or a husband or a wife or a partner, um, you know, that wall of protection just gets a little bit higher every mm-hmm. single time. Um, and it's just our way as humans to protect ourselves from further hurt. Right? Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you will be able to break that wall down? I think I might be able to chip away at it. Yeah. Will I be able to break it down? I I don't think so. Do you I mean, want to break it down? Um, I would like to pull away some more of the bricks. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I get 
so I'm not so afraid of being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. right? But when you've been, when you've raised yourself, which is what I've basically done, um, you know, you don't want to knock the wall down because if you have to rebuild it, it's a lot. It's a lot to rebuild to, you know, protect yourself from what you internally and have internalized as abandonment. Yeah. It's yeah. Mm. a lot. It's some deep stuff, man. Yeah, it's been deep. It's been deep for a long time. Mm. So I hope that if anyone, you know, it, whoever is listening and they have, you know, if some of this journey resonates with them, it's it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. You know, yes, we now have resources to say I can go talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, and yes, you should absolutely take take advantage of those resources. Um, but if you are of my generation, that's not always a comfortable thing for you to do, right? Mm. Even though we talk about mental health, it's not always a comfortable thing, you know, go to church or, you know, find someone that's, yeah. that's really, really, you know, good to, a good listener. That listener is not going to give you the right tools and the right path to take to kind of, you know, do some self-healing. It's going to be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Is that where fitness comes back in for you of being that mental health tool or like your coping toolbox? Absolutely. Absolutely. 1000%. I think if I didn't have fitness and I go back to fitness as, as you know, you've heard me say from when I was a youth, right? I was a swimmer back in London. I probably was the only brown, brown girl swimming in South London at the time. Um, but, you know, I was really good. And I was, uh, coach told us one day that we were going to try out for the 72 Olympics. I mean, I couldn't have been more excited. Um, unfortunately, because, you know, there was this uh, dialogue distance between me and my mother, who was in the U.S. at the time, um, we finally got our green cards to enter the U.S. And... Um, she basically said, I'm booking your flight, be on it. And even though I tried to explain that, well, you know, I can't, I can't come right now because I got to try out for the, it, you know, for her, I don't think she saw the importance of fitness for me. And, and quite frankly, to be a person of color trying out for the US, for the British Olympics at that point, just, it was yeah. just a tryout. I mean, but to be invited to try out was, yeah. Lord, it was, that was an incredible accomplishment for all of us. Um, and so she forced me to get on a plane and miss that, miss those tryouts. My coach was furious because she was just like, Ugh. I was part of a team, right? So yeah. not only did it disrupt the team, but it disrupted my dreams because she just didn't quite understand what that meant. Yeah. And again, that comes to not having a dialogue with your kids, right? Not understanding how or why this is important for your kids. Yeah. So fitness, um, has always been uh, a savior for me. It's always been a place where I can go escape. I've given myself challenges to do triathlons, which are incredibly difficult and challenging, um, and marathons and half marathons and duathlons. You mm -hmm. mentioned all the athlons and all the athlons. All the athlons. <laughs> um, but it's always been a way for me to kind of get my mental health in check. So if I'm feeling really distressed, I just kind of dive in when it comes to a race, 
I'm going to, I'm just going to train the, the heck out of it. Right. Because it then takes me out of that space of whatever I'm feeling, whether it's being down or being abandoned or being left or uh, what have you. But yeah, fitness has always been a savior for me. Do you think that there is ever a point where you feel like fitness, fitness is here. It's, it's this great tool. And I know you mentioned that for people of a particular generation, even like the thought of going in and sitting down and talking to somebody is very intimidating. I think for like, I'm in my thirties now and it's something that, and maybe it's just like my friend group. It's something that we all openly talk about (laughs) and kind of encourage each other to do. Do you think that it, that there's room, like, would you, I guess, would you be open to sitting down and talking to somebody about the, the things that you've gone through in the past or, or what's, what is the, do you feel like fitness is going to like? No, fitness is not the end all and be all. Fitness is not, is not the bandaid that's going to heal that wound. I have sat down and talked to, um, a few therapists Unfortunately, um, while I was doing that, there just weren't enough black therapists for me to go to. Yeah. And so there's this absolute disconnect um, when you're trying to talk to a Caucasian therapist who has absolutely no connection to your upbringing, to your culture. and And so, yes, I think talk therapy is really, really important, but up until probably recently, more recently, there are obviously more black therapists that are emerging, which I think is fantastic because now the resources for people of color is just expanding. Um, so would I absolutely go speak with someone? Yeah, absolutely. I've done it before. It's just finding that right person so that you can continue to have that dialogue, right? Uh, my experience has been with Caucasian therapists and not that they're not good. I mean, you know, some of them were, there was one that I went to in San Diego. I thought she was probably the closest that I got to, that if I'd stayed in San Diego, I would have continued to talk to her. Um, but they, um, just, just culturally, there's just a huge a shift. Gap. Yeah. A huge gap. Yeah. Just chasm almost um, of misunderstanding our culture and misunderstanding who yeah. we are uh, as a people. Right, because yeah. they just don't get it. It just leaves like a a weight. I feel like, uh, not not a weight, but to me, it, it can be burdensome if you, if for people and for other people that I've talked to that I go into a space and because I feel like it, you have to be brave to go into therapy if it's something that is intimidating, if it's something that is not culturally something that we typically do, if it's something that generationally it's not something that typically even talked about and so to like take the the step to actually do it and find somebody and then I feel like it's a it's burdensome to then have to go explain things that wouldn't need to be explained right. if they were culturally competent yeah or, or black or right. West Indian or right. a black woman or whatever it may be yeah. um I think even just when when we talk about like the immigrant story, um, particularly you know for West in, for West Indian people, 
that 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 is even also like a subsection of blackness here in yeah. America that I've talked to black people that are African American that their roots are here and there's a lot of things that they're like oh what happens like yeah we don't you know, I don't, there, yeah. there's things that are also missed on that end so yeah <clears throat> excuse me having um somebody that is culturally competent um or somebody that identifies with similar things that you is super important yeah but it, yeah. i get i get it like it's hard to find a black therapist it's very hard it's i mean hard. i you know i don't know what black pastors or preachers do but boy if part of their training was to be a therapist you know, yeah i don't know what's their seminary, you know, education entails, but boy, if they, if, if part of that was yeah, to, to become a therapist, you know, yeah. that was mandatory, then boy, what a huge yeah. amount of resources would be open because then they're trained not to just say, you know, God's going to take care of everything, but let me understand what you are actually going through from a mental health perspective, and then they can guide you properly. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with believing in God and Jesus and wh whoever that that divine person is for you, but there has to be some bridge for them to talk to their parishioners about. Hey, I'm a, I'm a licensed therapist as well as well as your preacher. Yeah. So come talk to me about yeah. whatever. Um, that would be a phenomenal resource for yeah. a lot of people. I think that there's that slowly starting to happen. I think with some younger uh i don't want to say younger forward thinking, forward -thinking pastors. pastors that's yeah. probably a better way to say it because yeah. i'm sure there's people of all ages that are le learning the value of talking about mental health and, and also being able to provide tools while also being able to still weave in mm -hmm. faith yeah exactly um, yeah. i think particularly for black people in america knowing how like a lot of black culture is steeped in christianity that would that would that would be a game changer. It would be a game changer. Uh, I'm I think. sure for some churches that have implemented this have been a game changer. But yeah. I think for for us in particular, particularly, um, I know that we I always joke and tell people, well, I grew up Catholic, um, but I don't I feel like we weren't Catholic at home. Like we very much believed in believe in God and yeah. like my grandma can give you any uh, verse from any Bible. verse from the Bible, any verse, um, <laughs> any day, any night. Any, yeah. yeah, but religion was very interesting to me because I've always felt safe enough at home to question everything. Um, and being at a very like Catholic school, going to like two different Catholic schools throughout my youth, um, always there's tons of rules. I don't make sense to me, but I always yeah. appreciated the fact that when I came home, yeah. I could always ask you questions and you'd honestly be like, well, look it up. Number one, that was the first answer. Right. But also the focus I feel like at home was very much spiritual, very much like being in tune with your angels and, yeah. you know, talk to God and like right. talk to your angels and, you know, you know listen, listen, like what's right. telling you, what's you know, the, the universe, universe telling you. Right. So, and I think even with grandma, who's, um, y'all don't think I'm crazy, but the women in my family are psychic and that I'm just gonna leave it there. Um, but my grandma is very much in tune with God and also like spirituality. And, um, 
how has that helped you mentally like having a faith that may not be so like religious based but just having a relationship with yeah God? yeah absolutely abs- you know when people ask me do i go to church i go yeah i go to the mountains i i, I mean i commune with god or whoever that's that spiritual higher power is um but i went to catholic school and the reason that i wanted you guys to go to catholic schools was because the education level was yeah. bar none. I mean, education in Las Vegas, unfortunately, is still kind of at the bottom rung. And the Catholic school system, the Catholic education system is, is in my experience, is yeah. superior. Um, I, you know, I, I went to school, I went to a Catholic school in London and, um, uh, you know, educationally, we would just, we were above uh, just the traditional public schools. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think you have to believe in something, right. And, you know, I pray, <laughs> I pray every day, I pray several times a day. Um, but, and that, that has also been part of my balance wheel, right. It's, it's, um, not only going up for a hike to clear my head, but it is also just really communing with that high spirit and, yeah, I have spirit guides that I that I talk to and I ask for guidance and I ask for messages. And I think that's important to have, um, you know, whether it feels intangible, but to have that um, that internal resource, that internal spiritual resource to reach out to. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yes, y'all. Thank you, Mom. You're you're very welcome. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you one more thing, and and this is kind of a question I threw in um, the last minute the other day, and we were kind of like, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? And you said something that I don't think I'd heard you say before, and you were talking about revealing your representative. Um, And I was like, huh. And we were talking about um, the persona, having, especially as a Black woman, especially through moving through corporate spaces, uh, really any space outside of like your comfort zone, I guess. Um, The persona of having to keep it all together and at some point having to kind of like tear down that persona to reveal who you, I don't want to say who you really are, but being vulnerable enough to be yourself and without the walls up without the guard without the protection from you know all of the the outside world but do you feel like at this point that you're able to move through the world as your representative or are you your representative or do you still feel like you have this like outer um persona that you got to navigate the world uh absolutely absolutely there's a a, an outer and an inner patricia right because um you know i've navigated corporate america i've been really really fortunate a couple of times to have uh, someone that i've worked for recognize my talents and not move me through because of an affirmative action or because they need to fill a, a diversity space. Um, but 
even to this day, uh, you know, the, in the industry that I work in, you don't find a lot of directors who are African-American. Yeah. You don't find a ton of personal trainers that are African-American. Um, and working in a, um, it's a private company, but it still operates under the um, kind of the global boy system. Uh, you know, they have no people of color on their board. They have, I'm the only person of color that has um, a director title. So you, you still have to, you know, navigate how you speak to those folks. You still have to present, uh, dial it back, which we all know that, you know, they, this, this uh, unfortunate, stereotype that we just ain't we're just not smart enough we're just not you know savvy enough we're just not uh, bright enough so i've gone above and beyond to kind of show that yeah i'm smart i'm smarter yeah <laughs> by um many facets and um, so long story longer i guess it's really you i think you still have to have an outer and then an inner yeah Right. The inner representative is who I am, is, is my authentic self. But when I'm out in the world um, and our challenges as people of color uh, is still continuing to this day. And so you almost I find myself almost constantly having to not prove that I'm worthy because I know internally that I'm worthy, but proving that I am worthy. that you belong there, that I belong there. That not only do I belong there, that I could probably yeah. outrun, to use the, word, the term outrun, um, everybody on this team. Yeah. So, yes, I think that when you're a person of color, you never get to be comfortable in that outer space. Yeah. Um, and my inner space is when I am jumping that fly kick on stage yeah. or I am running that mountain um, mountain hike. Um that's my that's who i am that's my authentic self yeah. so i think we just we are always navigating those two spaces as, yeah. as people of color and especially as women of color do you think there'll ever be a point where you don't have to do that i would hope there's a point that i don't have to do that and that would mean owning my own business that would mean yeah. uh, navigating my own space that would mean um i don't have to prove to anybody that i am worthy of that space or their space um and so that that is an ultimate goal of mine to own my own space, um, whether it's a consulting space or, you know, a physical space. Um, but I think that would be the only time that I'd be able to just kind of go, whew. Yeah. I can, I can actually be Patricia in all sense of the world, the word. Yeah. Yeah. Without any buffer. Without any buffer, without feeling like I have to, you know, put my superwoman cloak on and go, okay. Yeah. Here I go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear that. Well, mom, I am going to, well, first off, thank you. Oh, this is great. I loved it. Thank this you. Is, this is awesome. Um, we do have to give everybody the mind games answer. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to bring that, bring it home with that. Um, so if you guys don't remember, because I know you guys have, you guys have made it a long time, so I appreciate <laughs> you guys sticking around. Um, but for the mind games question, just a quick recap: we are uh, the question is, what are some ways that stress affects your body, your mood, and your behavior? So, 
we are going to tap into how does stress affect your body? What are some common ways? So, mom, quick question, like three ways, how does stress affect you? Stress affects me. Uh, it shows up in migraine headaches. It shows up in um, feeling a bit depressed. It also shows up in stomach irritation. Mm, that's yeah. where I get it from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So this, that, those are also on the list. So headache, uh, some ways that stress affects your body are headache, uh, muscle tension or pain, chest pain, fatigue, change in sex drive, stomach upset, um, and sleep problems. So similar mm. to my mom, my stomach gets all messed up. Um, I get headaches. Um, and I have really bad back pain when I get, for some reason, back pain seems to be it for me. Um, as far as mood, stress can affect your mood. Of course, anxiety for me, when I'm stressed, my anxiety is through the roof and it's very uncomfortable. Um, but it can, you can, uh, have anxiety, restlessness, lack of motivation or focus, uh, feeling of being overwhelmed, irritability or anger, sadness, or of course, depression, um, on your behavior. So stress can affect you by overeating or undereating, eating hours, drug or alcohol misuse, tobacco use, social withdrawal, and exercising less often. Exercising less often is something that happens to me also overeating and being very irritable. One thing that's interesting, I'll just throw it out there. Um, a while back, um, my husband had a friend of his that like dropped a bunch of weight. And I remember he said, oh, I saw so-and-so and man, he looks great. He's like dropped all this weight. And, um, and I asked him like, what have you been doing? And I was like, you haven't stressed. I've been super stressed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it kind of... <clears throat> I personally, unless I know somebody's like on a weight loss journey, I don't like to comment on people's weight, but that is one of the reasons why I think, um, I guess it's just being mindful that stress again shows up on everybody differently. Very differently. Um, yeah. And so if that's a friend that's overeating, undereating, maybe they're snapping on people when they don't usually snap on people. Um, maybe they're having a lot more uh, days in bed because either like they're going into a depression or maybe they're just like fatigued. Um, I guess this is just to be mindful of the fact that we're all going through something and sometimes just giving everybody a little bit of grace. I know I talk about that a lot on here, um, but I think it's really important to give uh, ourselves grace and give others grace. So um, it's 2023. We're here, y'all. We're doing it. It's cheese. It's 2023. But I am sure everybody has uh, resolutions and, um, you know, new year, new me. I am very hesitant to do that this year. Uh, I think I've done that every year because that's what, particularly here in America, every year we say we're going to be a different person this year. I am going to challenge myself and uh, just, I want to be better. I want to just continue to do what I've been doing. I'm very proud of like what I've accomplished this year, physically, mentally, with this podcast, with work, with relationships. And I, I want to continue that. And um, I am not going to put 
any pressure on myself like I usually do at the start of every year. Um, I've got some goals that I'm already moving forward on. I'm going to continue to do that. Um, what I will just ask of myself is that I give myself more grace and give others more grace. And I hope that anybody listening, I hope that you give yourself more grace this year. Ma, I hope you give yourself some grace this year. Um, and I hope that we all can give other people grace this year as well. Um, and if I can just, if I can just add to that closing, um, you know, I, I teach a yoga class at the end of yoga. I try to have some words of wisdom. And the, the one that has resonated with me is, um, you know, there was a, a research study done on hugs, giving somebody a hug and a genuine hug. Um, because you literally don't know whether someone is having a major meltdown at that particular point in time. So self-care, if you're going to make us a, a resolution for 2023, I don't believe in them either. I don't make them. Um, self-care is super, super important. If that's the only thing that you think about for 2023, if you haven't been doing self-care, that's the thing that should be on top of your list. Yes. And give somebody a hug today with consent, make sure they're consenting to them. But yes, um, give somebody a hug um, and give yourself some grace and give others some grace as well. But happy new year to you. Thank happy you. New year. Thank you. You're very welcome. You. I love you too. Um, I'm glad we did this. Absolutely. <laughs> it was fun. Thank you to everybody that's listening. I am uh, grateful for everybody that is still listening to this podcast. I'm really grateful for anybody that maybe this is your first time listening to Black Girls Have Anxiety too. Welcome to the family, y'all. Welcome to the community. Um, I appreciate you guys. I see everybody. I'm going to take a little moment to shout out all of the different countries that uh, I've been seeing you guys pop up in, all my listeners. Um, of course, the U.S. I see everybody. Yeah, I see y'all listening. Um, but I do just want to shout out to the U.K. Um, shout out to England. Um, my mom's from South London. Now I won't get that wrong anymore. <laughs> uh, shout out to everybody in South Africa. I've been seeing the, the the listeners go up out there. That's crazy to me that that people are tuning in from there. But I appreciate you guys. Um, Canada, France, Kuwait, Germany, Nigeria, Belgium, Jamaica, Australia, Puerto Rico, Ghana, Kenya. Um, we got listeners in the Ukraine, Sweden, Trinidad and Tobago, Zambia, and the Bahamas, and of course the British Virgin Islands. Um, so shout out to everybody that's listening. I appreciate you. Make sure that you're following us over on Black Girls Have Anxiety too on Instagram and on TikTok. Yes, the girl is on TikTok. And I'm doing it. I'm making videos almost every day. Um, yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the year. And I hope that I will see you next week for the next episode of Black Us Have Anxiety 2. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal. <laughs>